All right, this morning we are moving on to a new series. I'm starting something new that's happening today and over the next two weeks after this, talking about mission. So I, once a year I try to do this. Uh, at least once a year I try to have a series of messages where we focus on mission, the mission of the church, what it means for us to be a church with a mission. And, and maybe that word brings up a lot of different things, right? When, when we think of mission, and, and we do talk about mission in the church quite often, maybe we think of things like, well, the mission, the mission is to tell other people about Jesus. And that's why we have people that are called missionaries, right? And, and that's what they go and do. And, and we are, it's, it's this idea that we are sent out of here to tell other people about Jesus. That's part of mission. But but it goes further than that, doesn't it? Because we use that word, mission, in other ways as well, right? Sometimes we talk about mission as this intense focus, right? If, if there's some project that you are just really wanting to complete, then people may say, well, that person is just on a mission, right? They're so focused on this one thing, that everything goes towards that. Like if uh, there's this craft that I'm trying to complete and I need to find this last piece to do it, so I'm going around to find, I'm on a mission to get that whatever I need to finish whatever it is I'm working on, this project that's in front of me. We talk about mission that way, right? This very intense focus. But we have other uses for that as well, for mission. Sometimes we talk about mission in terms of an objective that we have before us. Think of, remember the show, Mission Impossible, right? Your mission, should you choose to accept it. An objective that puts before us. So military operations are talked about as missions that they go to complete. Or NASA launches rockets into space on a mission, and the whole thing is run out of Houston, where they have this thing that they call mission control. All that thing that looks towards an objective to complete. Something that is uh, put out there is this is what our objective is and the mission is to reach that objective. All of those things that we use around this word, this idea of mission. And all of those things have a place together when we talk about mission as God's people in God's church. That yes, all of that is part of what we're thinking and talking about with what it means for each one of us to be people on mission. That it's about sharing something about Jesus with others. It's about an intense focus that we hold in the lives that we live. It's about an objective that we're after, right? Something that, that we're working towards. All of that together with this idea of Michigan, of mission. Now, in, in this church, we, st we have a mission statement, and we, we state our mission with three action words. We say in this church that our mission is to love God, to grow meaningful relationships, and to serve local community. Three action words in that, love, grow, and share. And we've used those three words as part of our mission statement, well, for as long as I've been here, so it's been over three years now. So we, we sort of wrap this idea of what it means for us to be followers of Jesus around those three words, and then we live that out. So we're going to work through that, and, and today we're going to talk about love, what it means for us to love God, and how that works out in our lives as people who follow Jesus. Now, love is, 
On the one hand, it's very appropriate for us to go there as a place to begin, but on the other hand, it's very challenging. Let me say what I mean by that. Appropriate in that, well, the gospel centers on love. God's grace comes to us from his love. So, of course, love should be the center of our mission. It's appropriate that we begin there. But it's also challenging challenging because, at least in our language, the English language, love means so many things, right? It is so broad and so general, and it means so many things that ultimately it's hard to know what it means at all. I'll give you the example. Here's the example I used often that when I talk about love, that I can say that I love my family, I love my wife and my kids. I can also say I love pizza, Those are not the same things, though, are they? I'm using the same word to describe it, but I don't mean the same thing in those two different contexts. So love means all these different things. So so if if I were to ask 20 different people here, write down for me what it means, define what it means to love God. I bet you I would get back 20 different answers to that question. Now that's a challenge, because if mission, if mission is something that is supposed to focus our attention, right? Focus our priority, then it's not helpful if we're going all over the place with this idea of what does it mean to love God? So, good that we take time every now and then and focus again on what that mission means for us. Today, loving God, and I'm going to read again from 1 John, the letter of 1 John, this time picking it up in chapter 2 at verse 3, what he says about love. Here's what he says. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands, talking about Jesus there. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, and its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing And the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So something about what it means for us to love God. How it is that we are people who love God. Now, love maybe immediately brings to mind um, thoughts of emotion, feeling. That love is something that we feel. That love for God then is is expressed in, in warm, fuzzy feelings. Well, I mean, I I don't want to discount that as being wrong or false, that we do have emotion that expresses towards God. But 
John is talking about something more than that in this passage, isn't he? More than just something we feel or desire. More than something that's a passion of our hearts. After all, when when the Israelites would talk about love for God, they would talk about it holistically. Right? Their, their greatest commandment, something called the Shema, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Everything that is in you, love God. John is wrapping around that here when he talks about that in this letter. Talking about love for God is something that's defined by a particular action. And he is specific about that in this passage, isn't he? Did you catch that as we read it? It came in verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6 where he says, But if anyone obeys his word, talking about Jesus there, obeys the words of Jesus, look what it says. Love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Two things that are within that defined action there, right? Obedience to the words of Jesus and living as Jesus did. So when John is talking about what it means for us to be people who have a mission to love God, this is where he goes. This is what he talks about. These are the actions that show what that love for God looks like. Right there in those two verses of what we read this morning, he lays that out for us. Obedience to the words of Jesus and living as Jesus did. When we look at that and think about that, I mean, we, we may have all of these things that we, we wrap around that, but the careful part here is to keep the focus on where it all points. Let, let me tell you what I mean by that. That maybe sometimes we think loving God takes shape in, say, personal piety. Right? That, that I try the best that I can to be a good person and live a good moral life and, and follow all the commands that God has. That I try to be a person who behaves with good ethical behavior. Or I try to be a person who learns all the right doctrines and things to believe so that my faith will be solid and secure. All of those things that, in some way, I could say, well, isn't that an expression of love for God? I mean, it seems like it would certainly be true. Trying to be a pious, moral person could be an expression of love for God. But, but here's where I think John is taking us in this passage, and, and the overwhelming arc of Scripture would support this, that all of those things, which are good things, right? Being a pious, moral, faithful person, all of those things are steps along the way. All of those things are means to an end. Those are all the things that we do as people who follow Jesus in order to mold us and shape us and direct us so that the end result of all of those things is loving other people like Jesus loves people. That's where John is pointing this. And and he gives a metaphor around that, light and darkness, right? That when you obey the words of Jesus and live like Jesus did, it's walking in the light. And walking in the light has an expression of loving other people the way Jesus loves people. 
He talks about in this passage using the, the words of brothers and sisters. And, I mean, we think of brothers and sisters as immediate family, but in, in the language of the Bible, when it talks about brothers and sisters, it's usually referring to the larger community around us. That's what John is talking about. Anyone who loves other people around them the way Jesus loves people walks in the light. Anyone who does not walks in the darkness. So all of those things that you may attach to what it means for you to express love for God, if if those things do not ultimately funnel you towards a purpose of loving other people, then John would say here it counts for zero, for nothing. Because those are all things that take us to where God is desiring his people to live in obedience to him, expressed through love. And it's connected that way. So that may be the easy part to work out of this passage. The easy part saying, what does it mean for us to love God? Well, according to John in this passage, love for God shows up when we love other people the way Jesus loves people. That's the easy part. Now the hard part. The hard part, how do we do that? How do we love other people the way Jesus loves people? John says in this passage, if you follow his commands, you'll live like he did. Live like Jesus lived. Well, okay, there's some things I cannot do to live like Jesus did. None of us can. As much as I would love to be able to do it, I cannot turn water into wine. When I make wine, I have to start with grape juice. That's just how it goes. As much as I would love to be able to, I cannot snap my fingers and heal diseases. I can't do that. There are some things that Jesus did that we acknowledge, okay, that is for God and God alone because we're not God and we can't do this. So, so when we talk about what it means to live like Jesus, we're, we're focusing on something of a, a little more of a narrow set there, aren't we? And what it means to live like Jesus, to show love the way that Jesus loves other people. How do we do that then? How do we show love for other people the way Jesus loves people? Well, let's take a look at what Scripture in general has to say about that, right? I'll just pull out a few examples here, an Old Testament example and a New Testament example, and and show what God says in Scripture about what it means for us to love other people the way Jesus loves people. So Old Testament example, you're familiar with the story of Jonah. Maybe the, the reason we know Jonah is because it's the guy who got swallowed by a fish and then spit up again, right? That's Jonah. That's the one. Jonah, the one who God comes to and says, Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. Horrible place. And Jonah says, mm, no, other way. I'm going the other way from that. Eventually, yep, the fish thing happens. And then Jonah says, fine, I'll go. And if you read the story of Jonah, Jonah's only four chapters long. It's not that long. Jonah goes, and what does he do in Nineveh? Does he say, repent and God will save you? No, no, that's not what Jonah says. Jonah goes into the city and he says, 40 days and you all burn. That's what he tells them. You're dead. Pretty much reading between the lines, because I hate you. And I'm glad you're going to die. 
You see that in the story of Jonah because what does he do after that? He says, you know what? I want to see this happen. So he hangs out outside of Nineveh for 40 days because he wants to see them die. That's how much he hates them. And then that story happens where the Ninevites repent and God forgives them. And Jonah is so angry about that that he tells God, you know what? Kill me then. You want to forgive them? You do that over my dead body. That's literally what he says. That's how angry he is and how much he hates the people of Nineveh. And the book of Jonah ends in chapter 4 with God asking a question. A question that Jonah never answers on purpose because it's open as a question for all who read it yet today, like us. God says this, Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? God brings that question in the Old Testament. God loves people. And in this case, an example of people that are really, really hard to love. People that, in this example, Jonah had hatred for them. Bring it to the New Testament. Jesus gives this in the New Testament and, uh, from Matthew in his Sermon on the Mount. When he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Hang on, I lost my spot. <laughs> that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. You see, Jesus brings us then to a place in which we see and understand that this love that God has for people, this command that he gives, love other people the way God loves people, has this certain sort of a focus to it. It's bent particularly to the people who maybe we need to admit and confess we find the hardest to love. It's a love for people that shows up in ways that we don't always understand how it is we can love them. A priority focus towards people that we find the hardest to love. And in doing that then, in doing that, we, we sort of, we come out of here with a little bit of homework, right? Homework to say, all right, well then, who are those people in our own lives? Who are the people in your life, in your world, that are going to be the hardest to love. Because I think that's where Scripture is pointing us, that we see in the story of Jonah, that we see Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, to, to say, all right, you love the people who love you back, you love the people are, who are your friends, fine, great, everybody does that. There's nothing special about that that sets you apart from anybody else. But... When you can find a way to express love to people that 
everyone else says, why do you love them? You're supposed to hate them. And, and the answer is, well, I love them because God loves them. Find a way to do that. And then we take that step towards the mission of loving God as we have set out before us. We find ways to do that. So, so who are those people in your world? What do they look like? And, and there could be many different examples of that, right? Maybe it's someone who has hurt you or betrayed you. Someone who's been mean or wrong to you. Someone who you need to do everything you can to find it within yourself to, to give some forgiveness for what they've done. And that's so hard to do. But that's where God is pointing us. Maybe it's not a particular person. Maybe it's a group. right? A group of people who, for whatever reason... Their cultural customs are so different from mine. Maybe they speak a different language than I do and I don't understand them. Maybe they have a whole system of values that don't match up with the values I have. They're just so different that I don't understand. And and sometimes, even then, we may feel threatened by people like that. Because they're so different, I, I feel this threat of people who are not like me. Love for people God loves, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter how different from us they may be. That we see this priority focus to intentionally bend towards people that we may find the hardest to love. And how do we work that through? How do we work that one out? Well, we see that when we understand that the love that we have for God and the love that we have for other people are connected. Those are connected things. right? That, that we don't come up with this love ourselves, but we have a love that comes from God. I read part of chapter 2 in 1 John today. You skip ahead a few chapters to chapter 4 of 1 John, and that's where John says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. The love that we have is a love that comes from God. So how do I find that kind of a love? Those people who, it just sounds impossible. How am I supposed to love the people that everything inside of me just wants revenge? How do I love people like that? It's becoming connected to the love of God, closer to the love of God, because it's the love of God which feeds and nurtures and grows our love for other people. Or I'll say it like this, proximity to Jesus. We grow in that love of God which expresses itself in love for other people when we live in proximity to Jesus. The uh, pastor and author, Louis Giglio, tells a story about this. He tells a story about uh, the moon and the way that the moon and the sun go around, right? And so in the daytime, the sun's out and the sun shines. And and the sun is luminous. Luminous meaning it creates light. It's hydrogen gas and helium gas and reaction, and, and light is one of the results of that. So light comes from the sun, 
But at night, when the sun is around the other side of the earth, the moon comes out, and sometimes, especially a full moon kind of night, the moon is shining brightly too, but the moon is not luminous. The moon does not make light because the moon is a ball of dirt. Light does not come from dirt. So when it's full moon at night on a very clear night and you see the bright moon there, it's not the moon light that you're seeing, is it? It's the sun. It's the light from the sun that reflects off the moon and illuminates back to give light even in the darkness of the night. Louis Giglio talks about that in ways that illustrate something of proximity to Jesus. That Jesus, the way John talks about it in this passage, Jesus is the source of light. That we walk in the light. And so when we live in proximity to Jesus in such a way that we walk within his light, then it's his light that illuminates, reflects off of us, and shines for others. Now, if you, if you know how it works, you know, you, you go out at night on a clear night, and you don't always see the moon every night, do you? Right? And sometimes it's, it's a new moon, or just like it is right now, just this little crescent of a moon that's going. So you don't always walk outside on a clear night and say, wow, the moon is so bright tonight, because it's not always like that, because it's not always in the proximity of just the right place so that the sun reflects off of it. But you know what it's like when you walk out on that super clear night and it's a full moon. You notice, don't you? You can't help but not notice. Wow, the moon is so bright tonight. It's proximity. How brightly the moon reflects the light of the sun all depends on its proximity to the sun, being in just the right place so that the light of the sun will reflect and shine off of it. That's how it works for us as people who connect a love for God and a love for people in this world. That it's about proximity to Jesus, that when you and I live lives in such a way that we position how it is we live so that the light of the sun, not S-U-N, sun, S-O-N, right? That the light of Jesus reflects and shines and illuminates off of us for others. That's walking in the light. It's not then our love for other people that shines through the most brightly, but it's God's love for other people reflecting off of us, shining through us, coming off of our lives for others to see. So if you need a place to begin, right, if, if you go through that list in your head and say, okay, I admit it, I confess, there are people in my world that I just have tight fists and clenched jaw, and I don't know how I can bring myself to love them. I don't know how to do that. You need a place to begin, proximity to Jesus. Proximity to Jesus, living in such a way that we walk within the love of Jesus and do that to a pattern in which eventually it becomes to where we can't help it. I can't help but reflect the love of Jesus for others. I can't help but illuminate the light of God for others because of a life that is lived walking in proximity to Jesus and reflecting his love through the lives that we live for others.
take that step towards that of living in proximity to Jesus. Jesus didn't use these metaphors of um, sun and moon when he told the story. In fact, he did tell the story, but he used the metaphor of vine and branches when he told pretty much the exact same story, right? He says it like this. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Same story, different metaphor. Connection, proximity to Jesus is what reflects his love through us for others. And there's no secret to that. right? There's no code to unlock. Jesus says, you know what? I love you no matter who you are no matter what you've done, no matter where you come from, my love for you is already there. Walk in the light of Jesus then, the love that he has already given to you so that it reflects for others to see. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your love. Thank you that uh, you have come into a world in which, even though we acknowledge there's darkness, that you have brought love into that. Lord, we, are, we confess and we're sorry for times when we have mistaken a love for you in just simple, selfish ways of trying to be a good person and living our own good lives. And when that's happened at the expense of ignoring love for others, God, forgive us. God, we confess there are people in our lives that we find hard to love. Every single one of us has people like that. So, Lord, bring us closer to you. Bring our lives in proximity to yours so that we cannot help but illuminate and reflect your love through us for others. We pray this in the name of Jesus.